Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she and her. I am Emily Ann, and my pronouns are she and her. In this episode, we'll discuss Transfiguration Sunday, also known as the last Sunday after Epiphany, which this year falls on February 27th. I also feel like I should point out that it's it's not the last Sunday ever after Epiphany. Like, there will keep <laughs> being Sundays? That feels like a weird way to phrase it. I mean... I mean, you know, the way the world is going, I'm not sure you can guarantee that. I was, As also, far as I'm aware, the world is not ending, but, you know, let's leave the options open. Sure. Fair, fair. Yeah, it's the liturgically. They just keep saying it. The yes, last it's the last one that is dated as Lent. after Epiphany before Lent starts. Yes. We have one content notification for you this episode, which is that during the deep dive, there is a brief mention and description of sexual assault. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. This episode, for our deep dive into glitter, we are excited to have Emily Ann Garcia back with us as a special guest. Emily is an artist focusing mainly on photography, fluid art, and collage. She also is a nonprofit admin wizard and a thrift shopping hero. These are just some of the many ways Emily is a nerd. Yay! Welcome! We're so glad to have you with us. Thanks, I'm glad to be here. So the most obvious question for this glitter deep dive is, of course... Do any of us know anything about the history of glitter? I think. Um, I mean, I I think we probably all even intuitively know some of the history of glitter, just because it's shiny, <laughs> and as a species, we tend to be interested in shiny things. <laughs> Truth. Truth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know that the original kinds of glitter were made from natural objects before you know large scale manufacturing and plastics were a thing. So things like mica, which is still used today for some kinds of things that are considered glittery, um, mm -hmm. although less for the, you know, tossing a bunch of glitter in the air kind of things. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I Googled and apparently the Mayans used to use mica on the surface of temples, but only for special occasions to be shiny and in the upper Paleolithic period, from 40,000 to 10,000 BCE, there's also like, and the article that I looked up said um, a shiny, so there are flecks of red, black, and white mica, a shiny type of rock that is still used to make our paint multifacetedly shiny today, as well as to produce that heretofore ineffable eyeshadow element called shimmer, yes. which is like, I couldn't not quote that, <laughs> is present in cave paintings from the Upper Paleolithic period. So cool. there's like that part of it. And then there's also Cleopatra, who was a leader of a country and is mostly pop culture known for being beautiful. In fact, this Which article... is odd because her portrayal back then was not that she was extraordinarily beautiful. She, she just had charisma coming out of her ears. So. Yeah. Which, like, a good leader should have. Yeah. But she's portrayed in this article as the Beyonce of BCE. <laughs> and so that, like, has, like, glitter is associated with her as well as the cave paintings. But the word comes from the Old Norse glitra, which is a verb that means the same thing that glitter means when used as a verb. 
but humans have been making things sparkly for much longer than white people have been talking about it, even if the first known use of the word is the 14th century. I have to confess that the only thing that I knew close to the history of glitter before Emily started reading from Wikipedia was that... not Wikipedia. Oh, even better. Okay, sure. I'm sure that they have fantastic journalistic and historical integrity. But I was just going to say that the closest thing that I knew about the history of glitter before that was that humans have also been using certain kinds of beetle wings to make things uh, shiny and to use as sequins for a very long time, especially with fashion and textiles. But I won't go into the details about that because it freaks me out, let alone anyone else. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also think it's you know useful to to know that like so when we talk about mica there is a thing that was happening in more ancient times and in terms of like how they were using it and there's different ways that mica is used now and especially if anyone is familiar with cosmetics or buying makeup and things like that the way that mica is talked about currently in beauty world is a little bit different than the way it was used then it's still based on the like group of minerals that is generally known as mica sure but it is the case that they get usually dyed to be all the like variety of colors and so if like there is there is some conversation among the cosmetics world about whether mica is like good for you or bad for you i put those both of those in in air quotes because <laughs> i don't always know what that actually means right. false binaries mm-hmm. anyway but it's often because of the dyes that they use ah. to color the the mica that a lot of the concerns come up in addition to the fact that it's like you know a classic kind of thing that's like if you inhale too much of it then that's not gonna go that well for you but that's not you know something that's usually coming up a lot for most people's general cosmetic procedures yeah well and related to that I have to say that I think one of my first questions I came up with when I started thinking about glitter was Okay, so it's very small, and it really tends to stick to the skin no matter what you do. But other things that are similarly small, like, say, dry sand, that'll stick to you a little bit, but you can brush it off pretty easily. Whereas glitter, you're just, you're stuck with it. Like, good luck. It it might be gone in three weeks if you're lucky. Do any of us know why that is? (laughs) Because that seems weird. I think I do. I think I do know why that is. I might be guessing, a l- I can't decide whether I'm guessing or whether I actually know something about this. So let's find out. I believe it's because sand is actually round. And so there's just not actually as much of it that's like sticking to you, that's like actually pressed against your skin. Whereas most kinds of, especially manufactured glitter, sure. tend to be manufactured in a completely flat way. Yep. So all of it, like its main surface area is like adhering to your body in a different way. So probably the dyed mica is easier to brush off, whereas the oh yeah the created glitter is not. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. So absolutely. In fact, fun facts. More on the history of glitter because we should I'm... just throw those in throughout the episode. Really, like by all we, means. <laughs> we really should, and we'll. I will intentionally link to this. There were two articles. One was the history of glitter, and then the other was. The history of glitter and gay culture. So both of those have, Excellent. you know, important places. Yes. But the modern day origins are from in 1934, Henry Rushman in New Jersey accidentally started manufacturing what is now known as glitter while grinding up plastics and other materials from landfills. 
and that company like continues to make glitter today. Although there are some people who consider this plastic glitter cheap or for casual crafters only. And the true depth of sparkle is only achievable with glass glitter, which seems very dangerous. That's a little terrifying. Yeah. Right? Right? But fun fact, the U.S. Army considered at one time shooting glitter out of the tail ends of planes to mess with radar during World War II. <laughs> they didn't end up doing oh my it, God. but they thought about it real hard. That's amazing. Right? It's fascinating. Yeah, because there are planes that will like throw out a bunch of debris in order to confuse missiles that have been targeted at them, right? So that kind of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens all the time on well, sci-fi shows for sure. Yeah. And then like the other thing that that connects for me, which we haven't talked about yet, though, is like the sort of proliferation of the plastic kind of glitter has become sort of an environmental nightmare. Mm -hmm. And like that has become more and more um, part of the public discourse around glitter and finding biodegradable versions of it and et cetera. We can talk about that in a minute. But part of what I find really interesting about that thing is that the U.S. Army is like such one of the giantest polluters yep. on yeah, the planet. Hugely. And so the idea that they would have potentially done that additional thing that would have, you know, created even more problems. It's just, I don't know, it's like fitting, yeah. even if they decided not to do it. Very on brand. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the current like way of making glitter from plastic or sometimes foil is the article goes into details, but it's like this giant big sheet of thin plastic or foil that's covered in a layer of aluminum or other reflective material. And Mm -hmm. then they coat it in titanium dioxide for the color. And so you just like keep putting layers on and the color changes depending on how many layers of titanium Mm. dioxide you are putting on it, which is fascinating. And then it's cut into shapes that can completely cover a two-dimensional surface. And so the easiest is actually to do hexagons but they also will do like squares or rectangles instead of like circles because circles sure. would leave gaps yeah, would leave and so they wouldn't be able to use everything. But hexagons, I thought that was fascinating that those are the like easiest to actually like use. Yeah, because it tessellates better than so many other things and is clo- then is like visually closer to a circle. Mm-hmm. That's true. Than like a square. Is- yeah. And if you were shrunk down to a very tiny size, you could use them as markers in a tabletop role-playing game. that's true i think there must also be part of it that like the corners are also less pokey because if you did Mm. all squares like the the actual edges of the glitter feel the yeah yeah, it just feels like it would be sharper aggressive yeah Yeah. that's that's smart also so speaking of glitter being like really sticky to people stick to Mm people-y there's actually like an article that this article links to about glitter as forensic evidence Oh, goodness. And it's a, like, hypothetical situation. And I will say, like, at this point, this story involves sexual assault. But it's, like, a woman goes to a bar. There's music and dancing, and the woman is wearing glitter as part of her eye makeup. And then starts dancing with a guy. She gets some, like, doesn't want to keep going. So she decides to go home. He follows her and... um forces her to go down on him and then runs off. She reports the assault. The suspect is arrested and brought to the hospital for an examination. And when he is standing over the, like he would get 
take off his clothes over like a butcher paper to catch things. And so glitter particles could fall on the butcher paper or could have gotten caught in pubic hair. And so then that becomes evidence. Glitter matching. Yeah, glitter matching. I could see that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was intrigued by the concept. I don't know that it would hold up in court, but right now I don't know what holds up in court. So yeah, (laughs) it's really unclear. So (laughs) yeah, that's nothing. Yeah. So speaking of controversy, (laughs) okay. I think that was an Emily level uh, segue, but um, (laughs) I'm so proud of you. Well done. But But as we mentioned a minute ago, glitter is more controversial these days than it was, say, like when we were kids. Although I have heard of that biodegradable glitter, like you mentioned, Emily Ann. It's certainly no Vanta Black like we were talking about last time that you joined us. <laughs> but it is definitely referred to by many as the herpes of the craft world, which is maybe mm-hmm. not the most complimentary thing it's ever been called. Uh, so c- can you tell us a little bit about that, Emily? And do you use glitter? I don't use glitter very often, like as, you know, buying a tube of glitter or a bucket of it. I don't know how people buy glitter. Um, (laughs) I don't use it in that regard, but I do use a lot of things that potentially have glitter in them or like micas in them to make them that kind of shimmery things. Mm -hmm. I guess the place that I probably use glitter the most, which isn't very much, would probably be a nail polish. Sure. Mm. But I do agree. And part of the reason that I don't use it, even when, you know, my family and I were going through our like giant thing of craft supplies and trying to decide which things we were keeping or whatever. I just like see a tube of glitter and I'm like, I don't know if the second it gets open, it's going to be on everything (laughs) forever. Yeah. And like, I don't know if I'm ready for that level of commitment to this, these shiny little objects. Yeah, I used to have a shirt that had some glitter on it and it I washed it over and over and over again and the glitter was still there and it would still come off and it got to the point where my husband refused to hug me while I was wearing that shirt <laughs> because mm-hmm. glitter would get on him. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there are probably secondary things like that that I own like I don't know, you buy a greeting card or somebody sends you a oh, greeting goodness. card and half of them are like covered in glitter or My aunt used to fill greeting cards with confetti too just to make it worse. That was Oh yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. She finally stopped. My mom sold them, and so every once in a while I get oh, cards with, like, confetti in it or, like, glitter mm-hmm. in it. I actually preached a sermon one time about – it was the sermon – one of the readings was the parable of the mustard seed. And so I talked about glitter and – I forget what the other parable was, but I, it was like glitter and rainbows was my sermon. And the congregation loved it. And I opened glitter with the kids during the kids' sermon. And nobody got really upset. It was a congregation that like I knew pretty well and they knew me pretty well. But like they're, but I was doing pulpit supply. And so like they had, like we talked about how glitter gets everywhere and then you see it out of the corner of your eye. And so then like literally over a year later, there were people from the congregation who still talked about that sermon, but like there were also <laughs> yeah. like still pieces of glitter everywhere and <laughs> like that would just catch people's eyes in the sanctuary, which I think yeah. is. Hilarious. I mean, and I think that's another one of the things about the like sand versus glitter thing in terms of like how much it sticks is that like, because it's so light reflective, you're just so much more likely mm-hmm. to notice that's a single piece of glitter on yourself than you would a single piece of sand or any almost anything else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. I'm curious, speaking of glitter and the Bible, if there are biblical stories or passages that you would associate 
with glitter or that like if you were trying to think about glitter in the bible what what would you think of i guess the first place my brain goes is gonna be things that are water-based so Mm. either things that are like water-based because it's a rainbow kind of thing or water-based because it's you know jesus walking on the water or something like that where there's a the combination, I think there's like maybe a combination of like miracle plus water. Yeah. Which, you know, is basically baptism. And I am, you know, pretty steeped in Lutheranism and I'm fairly excited about <laughs> baptism. So that's not like <laughs> off brand for me or anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I wouldn't have thought about that, but I like it, especially because on a sunny day, right? Like water or mm-hmm. when you're indoors and have electricity, water is so, is like <laughs> sparkly, sparkly and glittery yeah. and dazzling and can be like that bright Mm -hmm. that it like is hard to see huh I think there's something about like when I imagine I know this is a little bit weird but I think well I don't know I'm a product of my generation it's fine (laughs) when I imagine some of the you know like Jesus walking on water kind of situation scene I think I'm really influenced by by the little mermaid and when when like magical things are happening like when King Triton like puts down his trident or whatever and like sends her the magic that's gonna give her at the end of the movie hopefully i'm not spoiling the little brain for anyone <laughs> um, like that kind of like picture of what it looks like for the water to be glittery and shimmery as the magic is happening mm. or something is like i think part of part of my internal yeah picture i was thinking about that i didn't i didn't have a place for it to come up so i'm glad that you brought that up i was thinking about that when i was thinking about this episode that magic in like I just recently watched a whole lot of Tangled and (laughs) her hair right glows and glitters when it's doing its magical Mm -hmm. make her kidnapper young thing and so I was thinking about it I was like actually like (laughs) throughout like Disney animated movies magic is almost always glittery or shimmery Mm -hmm. or shiny or like that yeah yeah, which is fascinating. Also, in connection with baptism and like the ways that water and now I'm like really intrigued. We're one of my other projects because I have a million. Diaconia.faith, which is one of our like partner organizations, is doing a worship service for Transfiguration Sunday because it's Transfiguration Sunday. And we'll link to their Facebook page in our episode description. But part of it is doing an intentional affirmation of name and affirmation of baptism because that's in many ways what transfiguration is. It's this connection to when yeah. God mm. said, hey, Jesus, you're my beloved. And then God says it again at trans- at the transfiguration. And there's glitter this time. So it's like extra magical this time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that I love that you made that connection because... I was like almost to that connection and then you just like brought it all together beautifully. Sure. And I think that there's other things like even outside of the the water example, the way that, you know, things are visually built to where there's like the beam of sunlight coming through a broken roof or something. And sure. even the like way the dust in the air is is shot often in like film. Mm. It like is supposed to have sort of that shimmering thing, even if it's not quite like bright glitter. Yeah. Like God rays, just seeing Isn't those that what they call them. Yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. So now glitter is going to forever remind me of my baptism. That's lovely. Great. I think that's brilliant. We can never have too many yeah. reminders of that. Of course yeah. not. 
Um, so you did mention previously briefly the the thing about the concept of like biodegradable gl glitter oh, and yes. stuff, and I also mentioned that earlier. And I do want to talk about that because yes. I think that it's really interesting that obviously a lot of people have become interested in this, especially as like more conversation even just about microplastics has become part of a thing. Yeah. When people like started becoming worried about the like scrubby face washes that have microplastics and other ways that that kind of thing can really harm our waterways. And so like there has been a lot of scientific research that has shown the ways in which glitter getting into our waterways can like really upset the ecosystem really fast. Like it really um, makes things hard for algae and things like that to do the things that they need to do. And those things are very important to us. Yeah. But it's also the case that because we're in such a like, I don't know, late stage capitalist model of the world <laughs> that we're all just delighting in, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. There's also such a big problem about greenwashing things. And so even if you're a person who is interested in um, being, you know, nicer to the algae and wanting to buy nicer glitter, it's actually still kind of hard to find the ones that are actually good mm. um, because most, a lot of the ones that are marketed as biodegradable glitter, it is biodegradable, but like in industrial level, like composting basically oh, so like so not it's in, still like, the regular. case hmm. yeah and so it's so it's just still the case that if it gets if it gets into the waterway because you wash it off your skin and it goes down your pipes or it's you know thrown all over the place at a pride parade or like any of those kind of things where it like might end up in the water instead of in your compost bin which i know for us we have city compost that would actually do this thing so there's a little bit more of an option there mm -hmm. but a lot of places don't have that anyway you're not, it's not actually going to biodegrade. And so people are like, oh, I'm making a better choice, but, but they're, not. but it's not actually better. Yeah. Which is, that's fascinating because I had not heard that and it makes a hundred percent sense, right? Like we talk about rainbow mm -hmm. capitalism and yeah. it feels yeah. like a similar thing, which coincides Technically, perfectly. if it counts as biodegradable. Yeah. Sorry. Right. But it coincides perfectly for my next question which is like the best transition Great. ever. But one of the things, one of the traditions that has developed in more recent years is the concept of glitter ashes for Ash Wednesday, which is mm -hmm. the next episode after this is our Ash Wednesday episode. And we're super excited about our guest for that. But And I would like to thank you, Emily, for pointing out that you were talking about glitter ashes in relation to Ash Wednesday and not like in relation to, say, funerals. Yeah, as far as I know, Daddy. that is not a tradition. I'm not encouraging it. You might have just created it, though. I was going to say, I think you might you be have working against your own interests. Please <laughs> don't. <laughs> I mean... Like, listen, if you were really that like glittery that. of a person, then there will already be glitter in there, let's be honest, because it's not like <laughs> you will have gotten rid of all the glitter off your body when you die. So, Fair, fair. But as a like as a pastor, I have both received and imposed glitter ashes at different points. And I have some amount of mixed feelings about them because of this idea around, right, if it's biodegradable mm -hmm. or not. And part of Ash Wednesday is a reminder of your mortality and like that, yeah. that life is a cycle and that we all eventually die and return to the earth. And also when I do glitter ashes, it's 
not only you are dust and to dust you shall return, but also you are stardust and to the cosmos you shall return, which is a different sense of it and feels definitely feels very queer and affirming to me to have those two held together. But also, I don't want to like put more plastic into the world. So I'm, I'm curious what your experience and thoughts slash feelings are about glitter ashes. I, I have, you know, mixed feelings, I guess, personally about glitter ashes. I do like the sort of stardust angle mm-hmm. a little bit more just for me personally than some of the like other, like I know it's been important to people as like a sign of queerness and like other things about fabulousness. And I'm very happy for that to be true for people. And it's mostly not my experience of my own queerness. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel particularly validated about that. However, I think I can think of it in two different ways. Like one is that, using some kind of glitter that is actually um, able to break down in the natural environment, which is, by the way, the language that you should be looking for if you're looking for more environmentally friendly glitter is something that's advertised as being able to break down in the natural environment rather than compostable or biodegradable. Okay. So I think that like doing something like that feels like it's sort of the best of, I don't know, all the worlds Mm -hmm. for for those of us who are interested in the glitter ashes concept. I think the other reality for for me about the idea of glitter ashes when it's, I don't know, conventional glitter or the plastic glitter is there's something about that that feels also really real to me about being human at this time, you know, that like, yeah, to you know, we are dust into dust, we shall return. And also we're going to be leaving behind a lot of plastic. <laughs> Like, that just, like, is true about the world, right? And I'm not saying that's exactly the message that you're, like, trying to give about that or... I mean, it does fit Ash Wednesday. Like, gracious. Yeah. 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 Reminder that you are imperfect and you will remain imperfect. Yeah, and there's something about it, like, about being the idea that, like, people are so interested in, um, I don't know... uh, their own flashiness in so many different ways. And I, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I just mean like we are all interested in being stars that shine or, you know, yeah. making our particular like mark in the world and the, the way in which like the essence of ourselves does return to dust and there is still something that remains. Mm-hmm. And so I don't even mean that it has to be about, you know, the ways in which we're polluting the earth with things that will never break down or something, mm-hmm. yeah. but just like, the idea of like something's remaining. Yeah, that's a that may wind up in my Ash Wednesday sermon at this rate. Okay. I know. I was Excellent. like, I'm not preaching <laughs> on Ash Wednesday, but like now I want to. <laughs> no, yeah, I, really I don't actually know if I am. I should find out. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a beautiful juxtaposition. I yeah, I just want to like we can't because it's a podcast, but I just want to like sit in silence for a little bit and just like ponder <laughs> all of that. Yeah. Well, and so glitter, as you kind of hinted at, is closely tied to the queer community. The sparkle and uniqueness and the like, sometimes just barely visible out of the corner of your eye, but also just like the affirmation of queer identity. And there's an article that I found while I was Googling all of the things that connect, that kind of talks about not just the history of glitter, but also glitter in connection to the queer community and communities and talking about like David Bowie and his sparkling gender bending alter ego Ziggy Stardust but just like 
the larger role of glitter in in like being a form of beauty defiance, right? So creating this space or holding out this space for people to challenge gender norms and gender expectations. And it could be to take them to a more extreme or to cross what is expected for you in the body that you inhabit or like any number of things that just make it more. And for some, it's more authentic and for some, it's more outrageous. And you kind of hinted at not being a big like glitter is affirmation person. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's right. But I think that like part of what you're I think part of what you're saying about like why like what draws people to glitter in the particular way that the the queer community has been drawn to glitter is like part of all the stuff that we've been talking about that it is it does feel like magic and it does feel like so there is a part of it that feels like blessing to Mm -hmm. say like I am worthy of the magic I am worthy of like having the light reflect off of me I am worthy of like you seeing me there's a particular way in which like coating yourself in glitter like you're gonna be seen and like whether that's something that feels important to you about how you bring yourself to the wider world or is important about how you even bring yourself to the queer community like in a drag show or something mm-hmm. like those it it absolutely makes sense to me that that would be so attractive to a community that has been routinely unseen yeah and yeah i think it also like that that then brings into the other piece that is in this article is glitter bombing. And I know Kay has a thing mm-hmm. that she wants to talk about, but the like earlier part of glitter bombing, right. Was, and, the, and there's this long history of glitter activism mm-hmm. for like, not just like the ways that it is, you know, Ash Wednesday and that sort of thing, but like the practice of glitter bombing Michelle Bachman, Rick Santorum, Newt Gingrich, Mitt <laughs> Romney, like yeah. all of them have been glitter bombed since like 2011 by an activist group known as the Glitterati, <laughs> right? But it's this idea of people who are so queer phobic and glitter is so tied to the queer community and, and, and as a blessing that then to say, you know what, we're going to glitter bomb you. We're going to douse you in glitter so that every time you look in the mirror for the next month, at least, you see a bit of the blessing of who we are in your own reflection. And then after that, it will be out of the corner of your eye that you see the glitter and you will be reminded of like you will not be able to get us literally out of your sight for the amount of glitter that we're like dumping on you and I well and not only is it going to stick not only is it going to stick to your body it's going to stick to the environment and it's going to stick to the people that were around you and so like it's also going to be the case that other people are going to show up and be like what happened here yeah you know yeah and so speaking of putting glitter all over the other people (laughs) I have to say that when we decided to start talking about glitter today uh, the first thing that came to mind for me was definitely the connection that it has to the mental health world through the late beloved Carrie Fisher. She was well known, especially at conventions, but also uh, in other parts of her life, but mostly conventions. The thing about being famous is that a lot of people want to talk to you and you don't always have the energy to talk to them, especially if you've been diagnosed with depression, like Carrie Fisher was Mm -hmm. and a few other things. And so 
she developed a response over the years of a way to communicate with people without having to talk, which is to say uh, that she started giving people glitter. And if she met you when uh, dur during the course of her time at a convention or sometimes like in her normal workday when she went for interviews and stuff like that, uh, if she decided that you didn't look like you were having a very good day, she would while also respecting consent like if you you know leaned away she wouldn't do it but uh she would put a streak of glitter on your face or <laughs> uh, boop you in the nose with glitter or some people uh, she would actually like coat a large part of their face with glitter if she mm -hmm. felt like she especially needed to make the point and then the rest of the day as you walked around everyone else would smile at you because they knew that carrie had found you and thought that you needed more smiles in your life. Uh, and I love that. And uh, also her therapist has said that they could tell by how much glitter Carrie was wearing to any given appointment, how she was feeling that day. <laughs> and I don't think I could get away with doing all of that myself in Southern <laughs> rural Minnesota, but I have considered it occasionally, uh, particularly at like, you know, large conventions and assemblies. <laughs> Oh my gosh, at like but... an assembly, <laughs> just going around and flipping I mean, the bishop yeah. on the nose with glitter. Oh, oh, I would love to see the look on her face, or especially our previous bishop who was bishop for 18 years. But yeah, uh, I, I love the thought, although this year uh, uh, the assembly will be on Zoom, so that hardly counts. Uh, but I was wondering, Emily, if you have noticed any change in your mood or outlook when you come upon glitter in your ordinary life uh, or through artistic means. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. I, I mean, I mentioned before having like the negative reaction to finding it in the craft drawer because I'm like, as soon as this yeah. happens, it's going to be terrible. Yeah. But when we're using sort of a broader sense of glitter, like thinking about the sort of mica pigments and the like shimmeriness or something, sure. um, that kind of stuff, I feel like does really feel like it's adding something to the world. Yeah. I don't always use super shimmery makeup. But like when I'm using paint in my work, um, often adding like a like a well placed streak of like a shimmery gold or sure. you know a shimmery any of the colors that are that are working for me just like really does feel like it adds a bit of like pop mm -hmm. and finish yeah or something a highlight to two pieces that I'm working yeah on. I've noticed that on TikTok my TikTok is almost exclusively art talk. Mm -hmm teeny tiny bit of mm. chocolate hearing and progressive pastors but it's mostly art talk and they're the the transformation that happens when you see someone working on art and then they start to put gold on it just as like a line of gold or something and and then the zoom out and it it, it really does have such a huge impact in how the image itself exists in the world and how I relate to it when they have like I also think it's just so I think that's totally true I'm also surprised that your uh, TikTok feed is all art because so little of my TikTok feed is <laughs> it's escapism which is interesting yeah I guess it's not really escapism for me but yeah mine is all like neurodivergence and racial commentary <laughs> like <laughs> yeah affirmation <laughs> 
So uh, last year, Emily, we had you on to talk about Vanta Black Pigment, the blackest of black in theory, at the time at least, uh, because that actually <laughs> felt harder to achieve than what Mark described as dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them in last year's Transfiguration Gospel. But this year in Luke's account, Jesus's clothes are dazzling white. Uh, and I wonder what you think about the connection between glitter and God's dazzling glory in this passage. Yeah, I mean, I think this feels really related to some of the things we were saying earlier about finding glitter in the spots that feel like magic sure. um, are happening. And so when somebody says something is like really ultra white or something like that, I tend I would tend to imagine that as a like, I don't know, bleached white piece of cotton or something like that kind of like starched mm -hmm. white fabric kind of thing but saying dazzling white actually makes me feel like it's that it is reflecting light in some way um sure. like obviously everything reflects light and white reflects a fair amount of light but um maybe the dazzling starts making me think about um the, the way that it feels connected to glitter is because it it makes me think of something that's like almost shimmering or something that's not just like a flat white experience it's like mm. it's got some shimmer or some uh variability in how the light is reflecting off of it so mm. it's like a particular kind of eye catching because yeah that yeah. is part of what glitter is doing is catching your eye by reflecting the light in a particular way yeah. so less white t-shirt more bridal gown kind of thing hmm. that's interesting not really into bridal gowns but that probably is at least somewhat apt yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about it because in, I think, both Luke and last year's Mark account, there are clouds that descend, too. And so thinking about it yeah. as, like, a fog, and I remember at camp when it was foggy because it was really early in the morning and it was still dark, but there were a couple lights in the camp that were lit so that people could get around, like, for hike days and stuff, and seeing the light through the fog and through the mist and, sure. yeah. And this has also reminded me of a fictional reference that I wanted to make in the verses, but I forgot about at the time, uh, which is that Marvel actually had an X-Man uh, whose name was the Dazzler. And she was, I don't remember, she was definitely not white. Like they made that clear, but they were kind of fuzzy about her ethnicity. And she was extremely 70s uh, because she showed up in the 70s in the comics for X-Men. And her power was literally to visually dazzle people. Like basically she could, she could either do special effects at a club, which she did for a living uh, as a DJ, or uh, she could occasionally essentially do flashbangs, except I don't think she did the bang part, but she could visually dazzle you to the point that you couldn't see uh, in order to distract people to let other mm. folks to get away, that kind of thing, uh, which she does a few times. Uh, but she's one of Marvel's uh, lesser known X-Men. And yeah. she's just, every time she, she doesn't show up often, but when she is, when she does, she's pretty much a delight. And it, it's, it's so nice for them to have someone who's just much less emotionally angsty. And, you know, she's a DJ. She's about <laughs> having a good time. And uh, it, it was really nice to see that balance. Yeah, that does sound. And and I think that thinking about the concept of dazzling in in the context of a superhero, like also highlights that one of the ways that word is used is almost to like stun. Yes. To like you know render you immobile and unable to function or something for a moment. And so thinking about the dazzling white of Jesus's clothes and that is also interesting because sure. also 
if I, I feel like if I were witnessing this event, the whiteness of the clothes isn't what I would find stunning or dazzling <laughs> in a particular not. way. Yeah. There's a little bit but... more going on than just the clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, also, I don't know if we remembered to ask this question last year, but Jesus is talking to Moses and Eliza. What are Moses and Elijah wearing? Like, are they also dazzling? Or, you know, are they wearing Vanta Black? Or <laughs> are they wearing anything? Probably Vanta Black. I, yeah, Vanta I mean, Black. they're Vanta dead. They naked. Have to... Sparkle. <laughs> are, are they just wearing so much sparkle that you can't tell what they're wearing? I, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That's... Now I'm wondering that. Right? Now I'm fascinated and thinking. <laughs> There's so much good, like... At first, I like when Kay and I were talking about doing glitter, and we were like, "Well, we should see if Emily." Can we weren't sure on. that we could make it last. Yeah, and when I was like trying oh. to come up with questions, I was like, "What is?" And then it was like, "Aha!" Right, like from glitter as the now we have a of the craft deep world to this. It's, yeah, okay. yeah, we didn't even get into like holographic glitter or you know things like that. Yeah. So yeah, I yep. There's there is so much. Well, we still can. Because yes. we have three readings to talk about. Speaking of. <laughs> Great. Our first reading for this episode is Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Moses returns to the people after receiving the commandments on Mount Sinai, and they see that as a result of his meeting God so directly, his face is shining. And that word shining literally is translated from a word that means to send out rays. So it's like those, the mm. God, the God thing. Yeah. Like emitting God light. Rays. Yeah. God rays. Yeah. Emitting yeah. light. Brilliant. Like Moses. Can you mm. imagine Moses as a nightlight? That's that's what's like in my head right now. It's like <laughs> oh, Moses man. as a nightlight. Now I'm imagining a whole line of biblical nightlights. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Moses's face. Uh, biblical accurate angels. <laughs> Elijah's spinning wheel. Mm-hmm. I, there's got to be more, right? I, if our listeners have ideas for biblically accurate nightlights. The Ten Bridesmaids. It starts out yes. bright and then halfway well, five through, of half of them go out. <laughs> yeah. So that you can go to sleep properly. Yep. Slowly, slowly dims. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fantastic. Biblical nightlights. Hey, guess what? We have a whole new line of merch. Right? <laughs> But where would we get them made? I oh, don't wow. know. But check out our merch store for masks and regular merch anyway. <laughs> I feel like you could do a thing. I think you could make your own. Like, I'm not sure you could. It would be that easy to. Emily, to, no you know, one wants me to learn glass blowing. No one. No, not glass blowing. <laughs> I'm imagining. What am I imagining? I mean, you could definitely do do it in some kind of like resin art thing. A 3D printer or something. Maybe. Yeah, but I think the other thing I'm imagining is like even sort of like classic like toys that would you would have had when we were kids like little dolls and stuff mm-hmm. if you if you made them of like a translucent material yes. rather than mm-hmm. it being like more solid colored and then you could even like then paint on top of it and seal it and the, you could and one of the reasons I think this this would be theoretically possible is because I think you could have like a generic, you know, fun human shape and then just that like, you could then do a bunch of different paint things to indicate identity of the specific person. You'd probably have to do a different one for the accurate angel situation. Yes. But and the ten bridesmaids. Yes. <laughs> Unless you wanted ten of them. Oh goodness. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, 
Emily, if you want that to be your next art project. <laughs> I have so many art projects going on. I'm not sure I need more things added to the queue. That's fair. I don't have like, my art projects are not that kind of art project. So I don't actually have the supplies <laughs> mm-hmm. to do that is the tricky part. Like, yeah, give no. me something to color or to paint. And hilariously, my dad used to have that kind of supplies because he used to make his own figurines for his board games. But he is the last person I would expect to want to take this up. But anyway, you know, (laughs) that would be impressive. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of Bible, yay, the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) And we were, yes, yes, we were quite a while ago. So, one of the themes that shone for me in this passage is shiny from Moana and the very big emphasis on like everything must shine to the extent that like there's bioluminescent paint that Moana like paints on a rock so that she can trick him into thinking that she has the heart of Tafiti, which she does, but like tricking him the other way, which I thought was like, it's this, it's a shininess that is intended to attract fish and so that the character can eat, but also is like, all of this like all of these riches and like it feels so materialistic when it's in reality like based on actual like animals that do this in order to eat food sure which is a fascinating thing but i think pairing that with the song all star by smash mouth is fascinating to me because it took me forever to figure out what song was popping into my head when I was singing all that glitters isn't like in my head, it was all that glitters isn't gold. That is not the lyric Uh, to that song. That is not the lyric. Yeah. The lyric is all that glitters is gold. Only shooting stars break the mold. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) That is the lyric, although they are wrong. Right. So they're wrong, which is why it wasn't working (laughs) in my head. And the Lou Christie song, that is actually titled All That Glitters Isn't Gold is terrible. At least the version that I found when I was trying to look for it. But there is this, like, what does glitter, what does shininess mean? And, like, there is this value imposed on shininess in Moana, in that particular song. But also, like, in All Star, there's, like, this shininess that is supposed to be good, but also it's not actually accurate to say that all that glitters is gold. And so, I don't know. Not everything that is shiny is good. No, not everything that's shiny is good. But I do think that I think that it's interesting to think because you mentioned earlier about there being a like sort of snobbiness around glitter in the art world about like Classism. whether yeah. you're yeah right like so I think that like there is something interesting about saying all that glitters is gold. Not necessarily like I understand why you would say the opposite too, both mm-hmm. for being factually accurate and for being a thing about like don't just you know lark about going after everything that's shiny because it's not going to be valuable or whatever in your life but like i think there's also something interesting about saying that everything that glitters is gold because like in some way like everything is valuable Mm. yeah yeah so yeah and for those who aren't really sure why emily suddenly started quoting song lyrics that weren't from moana we're referencing a episode from a couple weeks ago where i quoted lord of the rings and emily wandered off on a tangent for a little bit which is also totally on brand. Yeah. So fair. I mean, yeah, it's been an adventure. By now, it's like a month ago by the time this actually comes out. But yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I think it's, I do think it also connects with 
God, right? That in this, yes. the shiny thing is Moses's face, literally. And right. so it's how much of the like brilliance of God can people even handle and how much is too much and how do we like balance that, which makes me think yeah. of Barbara Brown Taylor's book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, which I love and recommend all the time to people that contrasts absolutely full solar spirituality with like a lunar spirituality that ebbs and flows like the moon, which is its own kind of shiny. And now sure. I'm going to get into like sparkles and stars and okay. Anyway, <laughs> in verse, diving into the verses to save us from all of my tangents in verse 29, we read, well, not all of them. Well, that's true. <laughs> it's, I mean, <laughs> save us from it's it save us from all of them in that i won't share all of them but not oh i see all of them <laughs> it will save us from the totality yes. of it yes. but not from each individual one exactly okay. exactly got it so then in verse 29 we read moses came down from mount sinai as he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with god I was thinking about the tablets and tablets are in fact the main media source in the Flintstones, which I also <laughs> didn't think were spelled the way that they're actually spelled. So apparently there's something cognitively going on with me not understanding lyrics or that the Flintstones are actually the Flint stones, which makes a lot more sense because Flint is what you use to make fire. Yes. And yeah. So it's the tablets as like, in the Flintstones is lots of stuff is written down, which is unrealistic, but all of it is written on tablets, which is very realistic. But it's like, let me chip away at the tablets and let me, which I think is, yeah, I'm imagining now Moses yeah. like chipping away at the tablets twice because he broke the first ones because he got mad. Yes. Yeah. Which is why we don't have commandments 11 through 15, according to a couple <laughs> of different cartoons I've seen. But. I think the other thing that like reading through that as you're reading it out loud made me think of is i don't know maybe this is sort of the halfway between phantom black and glitter is like glow in the dark paint mm, sure. because glow in the dark paint are things that are made to be glow in the dark like the way that they work is by being exposed to light and then being able to essentially like capture that long enough to then re-emit mm -hmm. that light and so the idea of that functionally being a similar way to how moses's face is working in this that like <laughs> since moses was moses talking was to god yeah it was like basically glow in the dark and so like and hopefully not like, radioactive hopefully not radioactive or maybe like radioactive in some like additional dimension that we don't particularly understand <laughs> and sure. is mostly fine yeah yeah but yeah that that's like part of he's like emitting that light that he like absorbed so much of and then you know after a few days he goes back to normal or something i was gonna say it seemed like it would gradually decline so that makes right. a lot mm -hmm. of sense glow in the dark before it was cool mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so i read verse 33 which says when moses had finished speaking with them he put a veil on his face and 
So I'm thinking back to my children's Bibles, and I don't remember this being a verse that got illustrated a lot. Uh, but I do remember that as a child, due to my, what let's call it, limited knowledge of historical fashion at the time, uh, the only face veil that I was really familiar with as a kid was the picture of, or the pictures of Jackie Kennedy at JFK's funeral and her wearing the veil over her face. And so as a kid, that is naturally how I pictured Moses. I don't really remember if I also pictured the little pillbox hat on his head, but I suppose I might have. <laughs> but, uh, you know, come to think of it, as an adult, this podcast has previously cast Samuel L. Jackson as Moses, uh, should Thanks he ever care to play the part. And I think he could pull it <laughs> off. So, that's I, cool. Yeah, he could pull off the veil. He could pull off the, the pillbox hat. Yeah, he could, he could totally pull off the pillbox hat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If he wants. So I'm just saying, Samuel L. Jackson, call us. We have ideas. So, <laughs> you know, because he's definitely like so likely to be listening. Ideas yes, of of brilliance. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that that Jackie Kennedy's veil would have actually like because it's so sheer? Mm-hmm. Do you think it actually would have been able to contain the the brilliance that was so overwhelming to people? I think that depends on what kind of shiny it was. Cause like sometimes it's a shininess is like reflective and that's pretty right. easy to block. Like mm-hmm. if you're just yeah. reflecting the light that's around you, but if, if Moses was genuinely sending out his own rays of light, basically that would be harder to block, I suppose. Yeah. But do you need to block it completely or just dim it a little? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'll get to that in a minute. I was going to say <laughs> our next passage might have something to say about that. Yeah. Look at that. There's actual transitions happening. It's because it's transfiguration. Oh, goodness. <laughs> See if that makes it into the final cut. Yeah. If nothing else, we've got Probably. the Patreon episode. I know. K, K tends to yeah, be kind the to my puns. <laughs> I was going to say, like, let's be honest, even if Emily wasn't non-binary, all of these puns would still be happening. Right. Like about oh, about absolutely. Trans transfiguration because they're puns. Yeah. And this is Emily we're talking about. And yeah, so. it's true. But I, do um, think, no, I, I, have, I have no doubt. I do think there is something that is particularly like non-binary puns are some of the best. Yes. They 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 transcend binaries. Right. I wish I we could include it. the expressions on our faces <laughs> along with that particular moment. Uh-huh. So, our second reading for this episode, finally, is from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 12, through chapter 4, verse 2. Paul compares Moses' shining face to our reaction to hearing and believing the gospel. So, one of the themes in this passage is the idea of clarity. So, gaining clarity of self or gaining clarity about who God is. And it reminded me of the of the Captain Marvel movie when she has come to Earth and is learning about her past. And it's this slow process of figuring out who she is, what's really going on with the Kree, who she thought were allies, but turns out they're like terrible and murderous species and people. And in that whole process, once she finally gets to the point where she can claim like who she is as an entire person and her she actually like does start to glow because that's when she likes cool gets rid of the thing that's like inhibiting her superpowers she she goes all glowy and Mm -hmm. flies into outer space and doesn't die nice unlike 
you know. I'm just thinking about every part in a movie where somebody glows. Right? The glow up, like, you is... might say. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it, I don't know, to what extent is that, like, the same story, mm-hmm. like, worked into our subconscious in, like, yeah. so many different ways. Anyway. Like, reiterated in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So jumping into the verses, we read in chapter 3, verse 13, Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. Okay, Paul, I'm objecting to you again. Mm-hmm. Particularly to this characterization of why Moses was doing what he was doing. Like, Moses did not put the veil on because he wanted to hide God from people. That's that is not at all what is said in the original hebrew scripture text and paul is just adding this stuff in because that's what paul does which is why we wind up arguing with the dead guy so often on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) but well okay to be fair we argue with a lot of dead guys although also to be fair a lot of them are guilty of that exact same thing so i I guess at least we're consistent but uh, I, I still do object to this characterization because Moses is not out and about trying to hide God from people. That is not what Moses does. Moses put the veil on because a brightly glowing face is an incredibly annoying thing in any number of circumstances, <laughs> such as when someone has a migraine or someone is trying to focus mm-hmm. on something else, like, for example, doing their job. Or, or if back they're in the day when we were watching movies in theaters. Yeah, absolutely. And like... Even Edward Cullen only sparkled in direct sunlight, and I can't imagine being revealed as a sparkle pyre was the only reason why he avoided sunlight, right? I'm just saying. That's annoying. Moses is being a considerate neighbor and probably a considerate husband by veiling himself like he's being thoughtful. Let's give him props for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fantastic. Sparkle pyre. <laughs> I oh, oh I should point out, I did not make up the term Sparkle Pyre. That dates back to some of the original parodies of the Twilight series by a woman who uses the internet pseudonym of Cleo Linda, uh, who is currently found on Twitter and back in the day used to have a live journal. And her stuff is some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen about twi- about Twilight. That's fantastic. Which I have also assigned to Emily and Pace for their uh, required reading for their Twilight series. Yes, our first. Yes. On on the horror nerds at church, y'all are going to just, mostly Kay and our listeners are just going to have to like listen to me talk about it a bunch. But we recorded our first episode of the Twilight movies. And the Mm -hmm. guest for that used to be LDS, a member of, he grew up in the Church of Jesus the Church of Jesus Christ of oh. Latter-day Saints. And Stephanie Myers, the author of the Twilight books, is LDS. And so we went, so, it was fantastic. It was so fun. And it like just diving deep into all of these pieces is sure. fascinating. But Sparkle Pyre was not part of our conversation. So <laughs> for the second movie, it will have to be, I think. We'll have to pull it in. So I was looking at this passage and looked at verse chapter four, verse two, where Paul says, we have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And the like open statement of the truth is like a very arrogant thing to claim, I think in a lot of ways. And yeah. reminded me of, Iron Man when Tony Stark is just like I am Iron Man right it's just this open statement of the truth 
and it is way more complicated than just like and we said it to everyone openly the end it's like (laughs) right wait what and i think especially for this passage there are the comparisons that paul is making are so easy to take in ways that cause anti-semitism right to say oh the Jewish people, the people who read the other test, the previous testament, the previous covenant are like wrong and bad and don't know everything and hide from God. And A, Paul is one of those people. B, Paul is like talking to a particular people, but it also is just like, Paul, do better. Like you yeah. can do better than to make this analogy and change what is actually written about what Moses is doing and what the people are doing to not be anti-Semitic, but you're doing yeah. it in such a way that it's really easy for people to then like make assumptions about Jewish people that are not true or accurate or loving. Yeah. So, you know, don't do that, people. Our gospel reading for this episode is Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36, and perhaps 37 through 43a. Peter, John, and James witnessed Jesus' conversation with Moses and Elijah on top of the mountain, which is followed by more proof of his identity through an exorcism. So one of the themes from this passage is missing the mark. This happens with Peter, John, and James, where they're like, hey, Jesus, Moses and Elijah are like on their way out the door, but we should make a tent for them and keep everyone here. And also by the disciples who are like not with them, who are failing to cast out this demon from this only child. And so as I was thinking about it, like that missing the mark frequently is a thing that like provides comedic relief in shows. And then I couldn't think of an example, though I'm sure there are lots. Mostly I was thinking about Xander in Buffy because I'm in the middle of watching Buffy and now Angel because... The spinoff has started. But then I just watched the an episode of Marvel Rising, which like was a movie, and then there are like shorts and TV, and it's really confusing if you go sure. on Disney Plus, but if you Google it, you can figure out what order you're supposed to actually watch it in, which is not the order that I am watching it in, because I didn't Google until <laughs> later. But I did just watch the one where Shuri, the princess of Wakanda, is like her brother the Black Panther, like, sends her, she's on a mission to share their Wakandan technology and know-how with the world, and so sends her, he sends her to um, New Jersey, which is where Marvel Rising is mostly based, and the new Ms. Marvel and a bunch of the, like, new comic book characters are, like, in this, and so they, he has, like, this one goal, and... Captain Marvel, who's, like, overseeing this new team of teenagers, has this one goal. And the trick is that they don't actually, like, state the actual purpose. They're just like, this is to share technology. And the real reality is that Black Panther wants Shruti to remember what it's like to be on a team. And Captain Marvel wants the team to, like, remember how to work together or something. Um, So, like, don't be like that in the thing. But, like, they all miss the mark because they're not like the people who are supposed to tell them what the goal is miss the mark because they literally just don't tell them the goal. But then because they don't know the goal, everybody involved just misses the mark. And so that's like the entire plot is missing the mark and like 
frustration because look this person has all this technology and can do all these things well yeah that's the point you're supposed to learn from and isolation because I have all these things and nobody wants like I'm I'm just showing it to people and nobody wants to be friends and teammates and well you're supposed to like try and be teammates and yeah that was a really long it turns out if you talk to people that helps sometimes amazing yeah in the end as with most (laughs) comics it wraps up very neatly but oh good yeah it was just an interesting like we are just missing the mark all over the place on this episode just like the disciples (laughs) this is just a guess but do they learn the true power of friendship the true power of teamwork actually okay which is close that's cool yeah yeah not bad Mm -hmm. So in verse 31, we read that they, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And the his there, of course, is Jesus. And I've heard a lot over the years, I think, about why these two prophets would convict the disciples of who Jesus was, and that that's probably a large chunk of why Jesus wanted to talk to Mm. them in particular. But... I also wonder if that's the entire reason why Jesus chose to spoke to them because I was thinking about it and I realized Moses died of old age uh, in what I think we can assume was like relative comfort. Like he was in a tent in the desert, but he was with his people and, Mm -hmm. and his death was not noticed to be, you know, unusually violent or unpleasant or anything, but just like just shy of reaching his goals. Well, yes, but like he, he died of old age. Mm -hmm. May we all do so, especially in a pandemic. And then Elijah, of course, was taken up into heaven and skipped the whole death process entirely. Whereas Jesus knows already at this point that his death is going to be painful and ugly and probably take a while. And he's not talking to people who have that same experience, I have to notice. Was that the part that he'd like, did he... Did he not want to talk about that? Did he want to talk about literally anything other than that? And therefore he picked two people who wouldn't be able to tell him, by the way, that really sucked. <laughs> like, is, is that part of why he chose these two guys? Or did these mm-hmm. two offer him comfort in that conversation? Like, we don't actually know what they talked about, but right. there was a conversation. And did they, I, they would be able to tell him that, okay, yes, dying itself wasn't great, probably not even for Moses, but the death part, you don't have to be worried about. And being that you are both fully human while also being fully divine, maybe a reminder of that would not be a terrible idea at this point mm-hmm. in the process. And it also kind of reminded me when I was thinking of the whole, maybe Jesus wouldn't want to talk about that horrible death process for him at this point. It reminded me of a bit that's done by the now dead comedian Bill Hicks uh, with some very not safe for work language, although this is very easy to Google, uh, about how probably when Jesus comes back, he would rather not see crosses all over everything. Thanks. Like that's not... (laughs) The set of memories that he would be eager to stir up in himself about his time on earth. And so, like, maybe we should think about that a little more. Yeah. Like, I understand having it in our worship spaces, but the idea of every single Christian visibly wearing a cross is maybe not what Jesus was going for. Yeah, despite how, protect- Ultimately, how much protection they provide from vampires. Well, yes. Like, reminding <laughs> ourselves is one thing, but, you know, when the time comes, maybe Jesus doesn't need the reminder. That feels kind of rude. Yeah. 
that that so. that is in fact part of why crosses didn't come into popularity in Christianity until after people stopped being crucified. Yeah, that that makes sense because oh, yeah. probably there were a bunch of people that had that kind of reaction to them. That's fair. Yeah, yeah the original was. We, the we don't anchor. need to further traumatize Jesus, folks. I, yeah. yeah, the Just anchor saying. and the ichthus were right much earlier on. Yeah, I was preparing after you prepared, so I intentionally didn't do the same verses, which doesn't always yes. happen. Yeah. But so I was looking at 37 verses 37 and 38 when they're coming back down the mountain. And it says, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met Jesus. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. And it just, there was just this like, this vivid imagery of like the mountaintop and the transfiguration itself as like the Disney movie moment. Right. It's the moment in Moana when she returns the heart of Tefiti. And it's the moment in Encanto when like the house is spoilers put back together. And it's the moment in like in up and in all of these like that decisive moment. And then there's like a little scene that's like a wrap it up with a bow happily ever after. But it's but this part is the after happily ever after. Right. It's the. And now you're back into the mundaneness of life, back into the everyday, ordinary, this boy needs a demon cast out and the disciples are incompetent. What do you do? And, and like, I mean, I'm sorry, that's a hilarious thing to classify as mundane realities of life. (laughs) Faith healing. Yay. It must be Thursday. (laughs) I mean, fair. But also, like, if you get Jesus' reaction, right? Like, he comes back and then it's just like what is wrong with you people that you like can't do anything when I am not there and I just like there's this part where like I feel like he has this expectation of like something being different and then nothing is different and he's just like yep nah I can't call her too much yep but yeah so maybe not mundane (laughs) well mundane for Jesus certainly yeah yeah so, Emily, any other thoughts on life, the universe, and everything? Oh, I don't know. I've had a while to think about it, and I guess I guess the main thing that I'm I'm thinking about right now is that, as we've mentioned at multiple times in this podcast, and as I think at, probably both of you know, capitalism is terrible, mm-hmm. and I've been thinking a-, a lot about how I like spend my time and like do my work that I do and all of that, and am in the process of putting together uh one of those i don't know i'm not doing it on patreon i'm doing it on the coffee one mm-hmm. which i still don't think should be pronounced coffee but that's fine oh i always pronounce um, it kofi i have one of i have both patreon and kofi and I was yes i have a kofi yeah. too but yeah. I, yeah but so but isn't it supposed to be coffee i could it's it like the whole thing coffee. is like i'm buying you a coffee yeah, yeah that makes sense no, yeah. I, I think yeah you're supposed to recognize the the option there that you can go yeah. either anyway, way. Anyway, whatever. I do call it Kofi, so that's yeah. fine. <laughs> I'm in the process of doing that as an experiment of how to manage some of my art and life. Mm. And so I'll probably send that to you. Yeah, and we will include a link in our episode description. Cool. We will definitely link to that in the episode description. Absolutely. So folks can check it out. Cool. It's always fun talking with you both about, you know, glitter and the Bible. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. And I'm so glad you were able to join us. Yes, me too. Thank you for being with us for this. And thank you 
our dear listeners, for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for Ash Wednesday with our special guest, Aubrey Thonvold of Reconciling Works. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. As the ancient Christians said, Pax Pax Obiscum. Obiscum.